Hello, I'm Margarita Karol, working on all things Russian-speaking Jewish at JDC and Twine. And this is the second episode of Not Your Babushka's Russian-Speaking Jew, as we continue examining our complex identities through the lens of Kavanah, what intentions inspire our actions. And Twine is working to support a generation of young Jews who lead and live a life of action with global Jewish responsibility at its core. We offer transformative global service and travel experiences, innovative educational programs, and tailored leadership development opportunities through which young people can explore, find meaning, and take action. Entwine is an initiative of JDC, the leading Jewish humanitarian organization in the world. And we partner with and are supported by Genesis Philanthropy Group to produce experiences specifically for Russian-speaking Jews, like a trip to Odessa and Kharkov in Ukraine that I took with a cohort of 20 other American RSJs last fall. Last episode, we spoke with Caroline and Matt, who joined me on that trip, where we explored the ways the joint and local communities around the former Soviet Union are designing unique access points for people, young and old, to their own heritage, since we couldn't interact with it under oppressive regimes for generations. That oral history, as Asher Ostrin, the interim CEO of the joint, aka JDC, explained last time, was not being passed down like it was for American Jews, whose families had immigrated in earlier generations, But now people in their 20s and 30s who are rediscovering their roots are taking tradition into their own hands, redefining and reintegrating ritual and tradition with friends and family. So how are RSJs our age approaching our ancestors' traditions today? To find out, I spoke with some fierce RSJs about how we around the world are engaging with their ancestors' traditions today. I'd like to introduce you to Katya Rosina, a JDC Entwined Jewish Service Corps fellow stationed in Kharkiv, who joined our trip last year to Ukraine, and she'd been living there up until recently when she returned back to her home base of San Francisco to ride out the pandemic. The JDC Entwined Global Jewish Service Corps, aka JSC, that fellowship offers young Jews the opportunity to directly engage with JDC's global mission while actively fulfilling the value of global Jewish responsibility. And fellows are matched with communities seeking someone with their talents and skills. Through their field placements, fellows like Gatya contribute to the community life while developing their leadership capacity and knowledge of global Jewish causes. Katya is a linguist and Jewish community leader. She has her master's in Slavic linguistics and taught Russian for five years at Ohio State in Columbus and spearheaded the partnership Russian-Jewish Columbus, a grant between Genesis Philanthropy Group and the Federation there that made the Jewish community accessible and exciting to her fellow Midwestern RSJs. In our recent conversations, you and I have talked a little about how your work with RSJ communities in the U.S. required a different approach than in the FSU communities you've been hanging with this year. Did you also see that around holiday traditions these past months? The first time where I sort of had a reality check of how some of my language and imagery that I used with uh, the RSJ community when I was the RSJ associate in in Ohio wouldn't work and they didn't identify with it at all was Sukkot. We were planning the Sukkot event. It was my first holiday with the that I was planning with the director of the Young Adult Association and the Jewish educator who are both like our age. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, what I usually talk about in Sukkot is how we Jews are a migratory people and especially RSJs. And so this temporary hut that we sit in and spend time in during uh, Sukkot kind of represents that. And they completely didn't identify with that at all. 
And what was their response to that? You know, let's focus on the positive. Sukkot is a, you know, a holiday of the harvest and of joy. And of, there's a, a lot of other symbolism that I learned about that I didn't. I learned so much while I was there, both Jewish knowledge and creative approaches to informal Jewish education. And it was just not something that resonated with them. They had lived in Ukraine all their life. Some of them had spent some time okay. in Israel. But no, they don't have this sort of like... Oh, you know, uh, I am an eternal immigrant. No, they don't have that. Yeah, I'm sure that showed up a lot around Passover as well. For RSJs and our allies in North America, viewing our immigration as refugees or otherwise out of the Soviet Union was like another exodus story. It's really interesting because when I've mentioned the whole thing of Soviet Jews in America, seeing us conceptualizing for them, or perhaps them conceptualizing for themselves, the idea of it being an exodus from the Soviet Union. Um, and, and they didn't say anything, but I, they weren't like, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, look, if it was said to an Egypt, that means that uh, potentially they never left Egypt. <laughs> they do talk about the fact that in the Soviet Union, uh, there was a lot of anti-Semitism and people couldn't openly be Jewish. And the way that that's relevant for them is a lot of them mm -hmm. know they're Jewish, but can't prove it because somebody changed their last name. Like they know that the Soviet Union was this time. They wouldn't be able to be part of the Jewish community, have these opportunities for Jewish education and engagement. But I think that a lot of Passover for them, they simply talk about, you know, the ancient Jews coming out of Egypt. And for them, that's enough. They don't feel as much of a need to related to uh, some sort of historical political events like they might relate it to like something personal they do know each of us has to feel like we personally came out of egypt it's enough for them to mm -hmm. be like in a fun interactive way um tell the story of the original passover and i know you're on the pulse of some of the projects participants are up to in active jewish teens the international network for teens uh, with an active position in their jewish community has Quarantine Life sparked creative ways they are engaging traditions in their hangs? The teens, they always have Shabbat. Like, even right now, during the quarantine, they always have Shabbat. They've always used to prepare. They have these, like, AGT seders, and they would each mm -hmm. prepare a different part of the seder to talk about and kind of co-lead the service. That would lend itself to an online Shabbat. You see us having online Shabbat, and there's they're amazing. They bring that Soviet-like love and obsession and drive for productivity and their schedule their quarantine schedule is amazing all of these joint sponsored organizations uh, it's like every day there's like so many lectures wow. and and the resources have totally expanded because now you can have you know a lecturer from Sergei Mitrofanov and uh who lives in Russia and he's this amazing Judaism scholar oh, right. and then you can have like you know, something from someone in Israel and you can have something from someone in, you know, Moldova and any country and everybody can attend everything. But yeah, when it comes to like the traditions and how they're realized, I think it's very, very interesting. Like, for example, the Shabbats are sort of totally reform style. Like there's a guitar, people film it on their phone. But then when it comes to mm -hmm. candles, uh, mostly girls still light the candles. <laughs> and then a boy does the mm -hmm. Kiddush and a boy does the challah, right? In some ways, it's like very, very mm -hmm. modern. And, and nobody's going to be checking like how Jewish you are and how much like blood percent you are. On the other hand, some parts of gender roles are very mm -hmm. deeply rooted, while others aren't because women are actually leading the service. 
It's so interesting how in the U.S. the immigration story is so central to our identities, and Katya had to learn in Kharkiv that she had to design experiences around celebrations of holidays differently than she would for the Ohio RSJ she worked with in the past. The thing about tradition is that it's inherited from our ancestors, and yet it's just as much ours as it was theirs. This does include rituals like holidays, but also tradition is our food, the sense of humor, our art, the way we filter and celebrate life. My friend Victor Rafael, a professional entertainer at Lucky Ching's, the longest running cabaret in New York City, uses the art form of drag to unapologetically embody a bold persona, Svetlana Stoli, using satire and theater magic to bring audiences into his people's traditions. I lived in Russia for 21 years. That's my um, uh, primary language, and, and like my whole family speaks Russian, and we live in like mm -hmm. all the Russian traditions. It is so hard <laughs> now for me to say if I'm a Russian uh, Jew. I mean, I never like 100% identified as anything. Yeah. I always like, uh, it's always been confusing to me because my granddad, who I never met, uh, was apparently German Jew. When I was a kid, it was 90s. There was a moment when my dad started going to like uh, Shabbats and uh, all of that. He never took me as a kid. He always would go, he come back, and then he became like uh, the second person uh, after the rabbi in like our, like uh, in my hometown. Wow. So uh, for me, it was like, Okay, well, we have some um, some some kosher food at home yeah, okay, so yeah. all of a sudden because it didn't feel like we weren't necessarily like following Jewish, you know? When when my dad started kind of like going with that flow because at first it was like he was going with with the German flow. It's always been like okay, we kind of know this blood is there and whatever. Like mm -hmm. I was a kid, so all I care is myself. I didn't really feel like identity crisis uh, I possibly could have mm -hmm. uh, because I was like, well, I'm here, I'm living my life. And uh, I guess also as uh, homosexual, there's a different thing to be caring. Yeah, like I was like, I care about this more. Where I am, who am I, like what's going on with my family, it didn't really go, like, I didn't grow up in a very stable household to be mm -hmm. caring about, like, oh, where did we come from? When I came here, right, I was focused on uh, working on my language and uh, trying to reduce accent. Mm -hmm. I tried my best yeah, to right. kind of assimilate mm -hmm. with society here, so I tried to avoid being surrounded by Russian people. And by Russian culture. Russians Russian are radio, everywhere. Russian stories, there's Russian yellow pages. Right. So yeah. people would always tell me, like, oh, do you want to go to that neighborhood and all? And I was like, no, I don't. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want to because I, I came here. I need to uh, figure out my ways here. Also, like, I was going to school and later in New Orleans mm -hmm. uh, to get oh, my yeah. master's. So I needed to speak fluently and mm -hmm. be comfortable with the language, especially mm -hmm. like being surrounded by American kids. Uh, it's 
different, you know? So um, I feel I shut down my um, Russian side for like so strongly. I mean, very rarely I would watch like a Russian movie or whatever. I was trying to introduce my roommate to Russian uh, cinematography Mm -hmm. and all of that. And I'm becoming so nostalgic because it's also like been such a long time. It's been almost like what? eight, nine years since I was trying to completely uh, shut it off yeah. m- my brain. Now it's like, oh my God, it's been like, I miss our humor. I miss everything, especially when my mom was here and I was like cooking or whatever. I mean, I'm always trying to introduce my friends to like Russian cuisine. Mm-hmm. Food is a common language for everyone. I mean, I remember when we were going to like Crimea to my grandmother's best friends uh, and every time we would visit and they have like a huge table of like, and they would cook every single day and it was always like a big feast and they would not allow me. I used to be a very picky eater as a kid. They will not allow me from the table if I don't finish. I used to wait till they, someone goes to the bathroom and they had a dog and I just dropped the plate. So <laughs> yeah, look at that. Cooking old recipes for new friends helped you reconnect to what sound like some warm memories. And you also mentioned humor. How did that start to anthropomorphize into your drag persona once you moved to New York? When I started doing drag, all the friends around me were like, well, you have to do it. Uh, It was 2013 when I just moved to New York. And they're like, no, you have to do it. It will all like, first of all, you will stand out. Secondly, you have like, you can do like political. Well, I wanted to Mm -hmm. do political numbers. So they're like, you can do that. You can do this. And also like, it's kind of cool because there's a big stereotype of Russian Mm -hmm. Russian women in this country. I'm always being very um, sarcastic and I love satire. It always fascinated me that a lot of people don't get it because I believe it, like the real satire uh, is a very smart and clever thing. And it can come in a shape of a lowbrow humor. But if you actually understand it, you understand the references Mm -hmm. within it that would make it very, like, very, very highbrow Mm -hmm. humor, you know? I remember when I just started doing drag and I was doing it for like a year. And one guy came to me and he said, you don't even know how much what you do mean to to me and he's like my mom just passed away and like your show going to your show was the only way for me to kind of like uh, lighten up and just get distracted you know and yeah sometimes it's a lowbrow humor but so what like I love comedy so in the comedic culture in the humorous culture it's very like we're not making jokes about certain very touchy subjects to degrade them in a way we do to degrade the pain they create mm-hmm. in us. So, yeah. And that's the thing about uh, a lot of Jewish people. Uh, if you look at the uh, at the art history, uh, at the literature, how many Jewish people would be like a comedic writers? And if you go to like uh, uh, the short stories of Babel, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Ukrainian Jewish writer, yeah, there's exactly. a lot of... Well, I mean, I just remember reading him, uh, like, 
one summer we were going to Crimea and like that was the, we were reading. I, I I found it's very fascinating the way the way the writing was mm-hmm. and it was it was very comical. I believe I really uh, sponge it up. For instance, my whole thesis mm-hmm. here in masters, um, like theoretical part of the thesis, was based on uh, Jewish immigrants from Eastern Europe who created uh, Pan Alley and uh, yeah. Broadway, you yeah, know? Right. So, like, Jerome Kern, who had, like, basically Czech background, Czech Jewish background. Mm-hmm. You had Gershwins from Belarus with, uh, like, the, the Belarusian Jews. You have Irvin Berlin, who's a Russian Jew. Uh, and, like, most of Broadway, like, the American songbook is created by Russian Jews. Mm-hmm. Art comes from pain. And um, I think there's like a double pain because think about it. Eastern Europeans been always oppressed by Western Europeans. We we never been counted as equal. And plus, it's like double oppression. You're within the Europe, you're already low, but also like within your own kind, you're also low because you're Jewish. Like, look look at one of the biggest, like, there's not too many regional pieces of theater on Broadway from back in the day. Uh, It could be about the United States, but there's nothing regional about like any other place, Mm -hmm. except Fiddler on the Roof, Mm -hmm. giving you a Jewish, Russian village mm-hmm. and the tradition and all of that when they are moving in the end it's also like kind of like abandoning but it's still part of you that's why they're kind of like I guess that was like a, a love letter to your roots but at the same time it's like we are the Anatevka that comes here and we create the Anatevka. Wow, yes. Even though we've ended up around the world, so many of us have our roots in the metaphorical Anatevka, the Ukrainian shtetl town in Fiddler on the Roof. I was just speaking with Entwine alumni in Detroit about a large group there who trace their roots back to the same shtetl in Old Country, and they even organize trips there as well as to visit another community in South America that also traces their roots back to that shtetl. So while oppressive climates forcing us into survival mode created rifts between our ancestors and our oral traditions, we each have a special opportunity to reevaluate how much that rift is serving us now in these post-Soviet spaces, and to choose how we will reclaim it and make it our own. Whether it's the unique ways we tell the stories of Exodus and relate them to our own lives, cultivating relationships across the global Jewish community, and even how old recipes show up in our kitchens, how humor helps us find comfort in disorienting times like now. On the next night, your babushka's Russian-speaking Jew will shift our gaze from kavanah, intention setting, and more deeply think about mutual responsibility, or arivut, which asks us to take care of each other. Especially in these strange times, we can newly ask ourselves, what that responsibility towards our friends, babushki, dedushki, parents, local and global communities look like now. Until then, we at Entwine would love to invite you to check out our virtual platform, The Thread, over at jdcentwine.org slash the thread to discover new great things to read, watch, and explore each week, including some great interviews and even global virtual service opportunities you can tap into. Not Your Babushka's Russian-speaking Jew has been made possible with the generous support of Genesis Philanthropy Group. Learn more about our work at jdcentwine.org slash notyourbabushka.